Hello and welcome to Parkinson's Pathway Pals Tuesdays with Teresa. I'm Teresa Jackson, your podcast host. Today my guest is Anna Grill. Anna retired from her Fortune 200 company sales executive role at just 48 years old. She spends her time today focusing on her health, exercising, and volunteering. Sounds like a great life, right? Until you learn that her early retirement was actually a long-term disability exit due to her young onset Parkinson's disease. Anna was diagnosed at 38 years old. At the time when she was living her best life, she was excelling at her career and she was successfully balancing the roles of wife, mother uh, of two girls who at the time were only nine and seven years old. She was a leading a division of 110 associates traveling from South Carolina to Delaware, all while serving as PTA president at a girls elementary school when she was diagnosed. There was no time on her calendar for Parkinson's and while she started medication and care immediately in all other aspects, she largely swept it under the carpet, keeping it mostly to herself and forging ahead with her activities. She worked more than 10 years in full-time mode, stressful career, all while managing to keep her illness undisclosed. It was not until she exited that she fully disclosed her condition to her coworkers. Since then, she's gone from hiding in the closet with her condition to becoming one of the most vocal advocates. She is very active with the Parkinson's Foundation and has served as chair for the DC Moving Day event for the last four years. Most recently, the firsthand experience and frustration with the lack of resources available specifically for young onset has prompted her to create a non profit organization specifically designed and targeted at supporting her community from a holistic perspective. Welcome, Anna. Well, thanks so much for having me, Teresa. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Your story is very powerful, and I know it's going to help so many people by sharing your journey. You went really from a 180-degree shift from hiding your condition to becoming very vocal and really a strong advocate for Parkinson's and in particular young onset Parkinson's. Tell me about that process and how it came about. Yeah, sure. Um, You know, when I was diagnosed at 38, I didn't know anyone else who had Parkinson's. And from a professional standpoint, I was the primary earner in my family. And um, I was was, uh, the primary earner in the family and uh, doing excelling, doing very well in my career. And it really was not on my radar, obviously, to be diagnosed with this. I knew no one else that had it. And I was very uncomfortable with the diagnosis and disclosing it uh, for many reasons. You know, one, I was a young, fit, you know, 38-year-old and uh, didn't want to be looked at as a disabled person at that point and really don't want to be now either. Um, And, uh, you know, I I was worried about the the unspoken impact it might have, you know, the unwritten impact it might have at my job quite frankly. Um, I was already one of the youngest and only females on my leadership team. And I really didn't feel like, you know, fighting through yet being put into yet another box, so to say, at the the office. So luckily, from a symptom perspective, I was probably pretty successful in, in keeping it, you know, being able to keep it under wraps for at least eight or nine of the 10 years, I think, you know, by the end, I was showing some signs. But um, it was, it was difficult, certainly, to, pl- to have, like, these two different lives. And, um, you know, and, uh, there were some, some consequences to that, to that decision, good and bad. 
Uh, and, you know, I don't really live life with regrets, so I can't say that I regret doing it, but it was a stressful point in life. So when I decided to then retire, I, I tend to go 120% into whatever I'm doing. So I had about six months of downtime and I was getting antsy. So I decided to put my talents and time towards the, the, the advocacy of Parkinson's and Parkinson's disease uh, research and, and, and treatments and cures. So uh, that's how I keep myself busy now. You know, I know for people in general that um, develop Parkinson's and are still working, no matter what their age, um, their employment is, it's a scary thing. Am I going to be let go for some reason that, um, you know, is indicated other than Parkinson's? Um, is my employer going to work with me or, or not? And how's this going to work out for me? 10 years is really a long time, I think, to work full time. Mm -hmm while not disclosing your condition, I'm sure that there were burdens around that in general, not just hiding the um, symptoms, but are in trying to manage your symptoms, but just in general of knowing you have this, um, this neurological disorder that um, just, just hiding that I think is a heavy well, yeah, burden. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious what drove your decision to handle it that way and how challenging that was. To not disclose it. To not, yeah, to not disclose it. Yeah, I mean, it was really hard because I was in a, I was in a sales leadership role that required, you know, executive presentations and standing in front of groups and things that would typically set my symptoms off. So, um, you know, I, I, I tiptoed around that and figured out ways to, um, you know, cover myself with regards to that. But every day was, you know, it was always on my mind. So that was hard. Um, but at the same respect, I was able to work for quite some time and still still be treated and feel like a normal part of the office, you know, and I definitely don't I'm not one that seeks out sympathy. And, um, you know, I wanted to kind of stave off being labeled as the, the girl with Parkinson's as long as I could. So, um, you know, it was hard and, and, and I didn't disclose it to my girls either, really, um, to my a lot of my family members close it to my close family members, of course, but my daughter's only nine and seven when I was diagnosed. And um, I just didn't think that it was a time, the right time to, to, to lay that all on them because it's such a complex disease and it's hard to explain. And quite frankly, my symptoms weren't such that I needed to, you know, at that time. And I probably waited a little too long there when I spoke earlier about consequences. That was definitely a negative consequence in that um, my youngest daughter at the time, they were about 12 and 14, I think at the time, and she's quite inquisitive and curious. And um, she had figured that something was up from what she saw of, of, you know, slight tremors and things and decided to take it upon herself to go through our, my medical cabinet, my medicine cabinet and find my meds. And unfortunately, uh, due to her inquisitive nature, she went on Google and tried to figure out what the heck I had because I wasn't in, in absence of me giving her a label. And she concluded as Dr. Google would, would have it that I had Huntington's disease, which is fatal. And you know, it broke my heart when I finally discussed this situation with them to find that out. And I think it definitely had, it's definitely gotten, it definitely caused a lot of trust, trust issues between she and I for many years thereafter. I'm happy to say now that uh, we've recovered from that, but it certainly wasn't uh, something that I had planned to occur you know, as, as a result of my keeping it under clothes, keeping it under wraps. Yeah, I think about that. And, uh, you know, 
evidently she's resourceful like you, right? She's intelligent <laughs> and uh, you know for sure she's going to do well in, in life because of her resourcefulness. But I think about that and I wonder if you could take us back to the moment when you actually had that conversation because I think you know, there's probably lots of people out there that have young onset that are dealing with small children and thinking, how do I tell my child? When do I tell my child? Yeah. Um, and so take us back to that moment when you actually disclosed to your children how old they were when you finally did. I think you said maybe 14 when she kind of. I think they were 12 or 14 and she would have been 12. Yeah. So. yeah. so take us back to that moment on that conversation. And if you could have done something different you know, looking back and trying to help people that are yeah. in that situation now, what would yeah. you do different? Probably everything. <laughs> I did not handle that part very good. Um, once I finally did disclose it, I, I kind of just did it on, off the cuff. Uh, I was with my older daughter at the time and something occurred that caused her to ask. And she just flat out said like, mom, what, what's going on with you? Like, are you okay? Like what's going on? And I just sat her down and told her. So it's just kind of at that point I was, you know, I thought they felt like they were old enough. And, and I just, didn't want to lie, you know, to her. So um, that kind of threw off everything, my husband included, because he was blindsided by the fact that I was going to lay this honor at that point. And um, I had I had I done it correctly, I think. I, and then that obviously prompted me. I had to go tell my twelve year old as well. And um, you know, she was very, you know, a little indignant and saying like, "Mom, I knew something was wrong with you," you know. And then that's I learned what she thought was wrong, but. Um, I would absolutely say kids know more than you think they know, and you probably need to disclose it to them sooner than you think. And that you need to, you need to recognize that um, the, 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 uh, the trust and the value that that brings is far greater than the risk of, of har you know, harming them emotionally or, or you know, make, making them upset. Um, and I would do it definitely in a family setting. I'd do it all together. Um, my nature doesn't, didn't allow for me to handle it that way. Yeah. And uh, if I had done, if I had to do it again, I would definitely look at it differently. So when I hear this, some things that come into my mind that I think about is first, your daughter may have been actually relieved if she thought exactly. you had something fatal exactly. and then it's like, oh, it's just Parkinson's and not to make light of Parkinson's. It is a well, challenging yeah. disease, Absolutely. but so that's one thing that came I, to mind was, and I think, I think if I might say that isn't that a little bit how we all feel when we finally get the diagnosis, right? Because one of the ways that they diagnose it is by excluding all these other worse things. Right. Like Wilson's it's disease, usually... Huntington's disease, and MS, and other things that actually could end up being fatal. Yeah. So it's... Yeah. It's, um, you're filled with so many emotions, and a little part of it, I think, is relief at that point, you know? Yeah. So, you know, with everyone out there that has small children that is trying to figure this out, I don't think you'll be able to give the exact age like you need to do it at this age because every child is different. The maturity level is different. Mm -hmm. But do you have an opinion mm -hmm. on, you know, what is the right age? If people are dealing with small children and maybe it's not the age, what are the markers that would indicate they're ready to handle this, you know, this news as far as what yeah, your experience has been? I think honestly, I think honestly that um, it's more about how like I think you could actually looking back on it probably tell any child of any age what what it, what you have, but you're just going to present it in a different way and at a different level of d detail. I think you know depending on their right. age. So yeah. you know you know you, you can easily sit down a, a five year old even and say you know mommy's got some issues that make it hard for her to move sometimes and you might see my handshake but everything's you know I'm it's, you don't have to be scared you know I'm 
being treated and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, um, you know, just like the boo-boo you got on your knee, like we all have our issues, you know, that sort of thing, you know? So I think you could dumb it. I don't want to say dumb it down, but you could, you age know, lighten it up for any yeah. age. Yeah. yeah. Age appropriate. And I would recommend doing it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to swing back around. You mentioned, you know, you worked for these 10 years after your diagnosis and, um, you mentioned presenting a lot because when you're in an executive position, you present mm-hmm. to senior leadership frequently. I know that stress is so um, impactful in a negative way on symptoms. How did you manage that mm-hmm. when you were when you were working? Well, um, a couple things. I mean, um, I, I definitely took advantage of you know meditation and, and kind of the whole like take a deep breath before you start. <laughs> take a couple deep breaths if you need to, um, you know, um, some physical tactics, like, like actually, you know, like holding my hands together at the table, you know, if if they're, if they're going to shake, um, I always, if I spoke in front of a conference, large conference, I always requested a a podium and that was a little uncomfortable sometimes because a lot of times people would like just kind of naturally walk the stage while they spoke. And I knew I couldn't handle that. So, um, I always should just get a podium and just, you know, played off that that was, I was more comfortable behind a podium. So that helped a lot. Um, you know, and, and just try to put myself in situations where, you know, I, I would be most comfortable, quite frankly, um, with, with whatever the, the, I, whatever the task was. So you really developed some coping factors some coping skills. Yeah, I think we all do what we have to do, you know, um, you, you really become resourceful when you're put up, when you're, when your back's up against the wall, right? Right. And, and frequently, I know from the people that I have met with Parkinson's, um, generally they're self-efficacious. They're the people that I've met have just been driven and uh, successful. And so, yeah, also be type A. I'm not quite sure what that's about, but I'm sorry, we're definitely out. Go, go getters. I said we mostly all seem to be type A a lot of yeah. times, and yeah, and go getters. So maybe that's maybe that's leading to our stress. <laughs> I've wondered if it has a has something to do with it. So um, I'd like to shift a little bit now to talk about finances. Um, I know there are a lot of people out there that um, when they're diagnosed, especially for the people that are caught between before they can retire and if they don't have some type of long term disability. Um, how did you prepare or cover your finances, make sure that you were OK? You mentioned you were the breadwinner during this transition as you were you know, getting ready to resign and, and step away from that. Time. Yeah, sure. Well, I guess I have my father to thank for that way back when I started the company that I worked for in 1991 and I graduated from college. Uh, I, I still was going to my dad, of course, my parents for a lot of advice. And I took the benefits folder that they gave me and I took it to my dad and I said, what should I sign up for? And he said, pretty much everything that you possibly can. He said, you know, um, you don't know when anything's going to happen. And you know, you need to be, make sure you have, you know, if you, if they're offering you the protections, you should take them. So, um, I can't really take, take, uh, credit for that one. It was really my dad that drove me that direction. And I signed up for the long-term disability program. Um, not really even knowing what it was or if I'd ever need it. And I was fortunate to have a great career at one company. I never switched roles. I never switched companies. Um, I switched roles, but not companies. Um, but, uh, you know, paying $13 biweekly out of my check turned into being quite the important uh, 
um, decision at the end when I decided to quote unquote retire at 48. Uh, based on our benefit plans, you know, really, that's what saved me. So really, the, the fact that I was able to have that in place and, and have um, that set up before before I didn't leave. And, that, and I guess the only the real, the, if, I, if I can credit myself for anything in that whole process, it might be just the strategy of the timing, mm -hmm. uh, being in, especially being in a sales role, you know, it depends, largely depends the calculation on your disability, largely depends on your prior, most recent year perform, you know, payout, which in sales means your performance. So I, I knew that I was getting towards the end of being able to keep this thing under wraps and that I really needed to spend more time on my health and my wellness at that point. So given all that, you know, I tried to touch you know, I tried to time everything to the, you know, I would, I would, I would be best protected, I guess, as I went forward. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people that have applied for disability and, um, they don't get it. Um, and it's a long process. So, so I think that's sage advice for anyone, you know, that is just anyone in general before they get yeah. sick. To, to yeah. And then for those who, you know, and this is a lot, a lot of the reason why it's, you know, I've been motivated to become an advocate because I see so many others that didn't have that good fortune that I had. And, you know, it's scary. And um, I, I, I'm interested in, I'm, I'm researching currently, you know, what are the options for those folks? And are there possibly plans out there that maybe aren't like mainstream that if I got in touch with the right people, I could put programs together for folks who perhaps didn't have that foresight or, or the opportunity offered to them to get long-term disability before they got sick. And I have to think there's some creative ways out there to do that. And my goal is really to try to make this whole process a little bit easier for others that, especially young others that get, get PD to make life a little bit easier for them since I've, I've kind of, you know, I've, I've walked in their shoes and I, you know, for, I guess it's going on 14 years now that I've had the disease. And I feel like I've done fairly well for myself after 14 years of having it. And I'd love to share, you know, the, the knowledge and the experience and, and anything that I can that would help others in my same position. Well, speaking of having it for 14 years, that's really, quite a long time to, to deal with any diagnosis, I think. And so I know, you know, when, when anyone that deals with a chronic illness um, is at risk for being blue or depression. So how, tell us how it is that you stay positive on the, on, on a regular basis. Sure. Um, you know, I've always kind of been a positive person and I think that's kind of what innately wired into you, but I also think that you can kind of turn your, disposition around if you're not necessarily naturally that way. And I think it all comes from a, a point of being of gratitude and really being looking at life every day, being grateful for what you have. Um, certainly in today's world of COVID and uh, political differences and everything else out there, it's um, very easy to fall into that, uh, you know, negative zone. And it's, 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 it's really toxic. Um, I just try to keep myself away from that because I've personally seen the impact that that has specifically on folks with Parkinson's. It's, it's, it's a crazy connection, but uh, the people that I've seen that, that kind of give up, they go downhill physically fast. Yeah. I, I've just decided I'm not doing that. I mean, I've got a lot of life to live still and um, I've got a lot of reasons to be happy and I'm going to take, make the most of it. I think that's, 
important words um, and the impact of exercise and people that don't have this information, you know what my own personal journey has been and why I do what I do. And people that don't have this information do go home, sit in the chair, just kind of wait for the inevitable. And I think that we can push the inevitable far, far away um, by doing the right things and connecting with the right people. So that those are important words. Um, and, and I guess to your point also, um, to, grat- to gratitude, optimism can actually be learned. It's a learned skill. Mm-hmm. And when people use words like never and always, it creates situations that are unrealistic. So being realistic about and being able to reconcile the life that we wanted with the life that we have, Absolutely. knowing yep. well, it may not be the life that we wanted, it still can be really good and we can thrive Absolutely. well and we can be happy. Um, but that's a message that I think is important, especially for young onset because young onset has it so much longer than if you are diagnosed when you're 80. And so, quite frankly, now that I'm 51, I'm almost 52. I'm, I'm learning very quickly that everyone in this age bracket tends to come up with their own, not come up with, but be handed with their own issue, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's very few people going forward from the early 50s that has perfect health. Um, and whether it's health or whether it's physical health, mental health, whatever it is, everyone's got their journey, everyone's got their problems and their issues. And this just happens to be mine. And I've just yeah. decided that I'm gonna you know, live, live, live out the life that I want regardless. Yeah, I think the thing that's daunting for people that are living with Parkinson's is that we know that as of current, there is no cure and it is uh, progressive, but you know, there's always hope for a cure and there's always hope for medications that can uh, provide better quality of life in conjunction with the exercise and the other things that I'm suggesting. And, you know, I think it comes down to really, you know, control the controllables. I live by that motto. Um, I focus on the things I can control, which is my, my overall health, my fitness, my nutrition, you know, my happiness, my social interaction. I can't control the Parkinson's and I'm not going to waste my time worrying about it because right. worry is a pretty. It's kind of up there with stress, control. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Detrimental. Yeah. Um, so I, I know that uh, recently you've been working on a nonprofit, and I'm really actually anxious to hear about the details of that and how that may impact young onset Parkinson's disease people. So could you tell us about that? Sure. So I, I started speaking to that a little bit a few minutes ago when I got into the passionate discussion about disability insurance, and that's just one example of of kind of what's driving me in this direction. I feel like there's so few and far between relevant resources for those that get Parkinson's as a young person. Um, it's, it's hard enough as a young person to hear that you have a neurodegenerative, neurodegenerative disease for which there is no cure and at such a young age when you're in the prime of your life. And then when you start looking out for resources, all you see is images of elderly people, immobile people, wheelchairs, walkers, and such. And it's really not the right message to be sending. Um, the young onset population is actually increasing in size, almost double the rate of the traditional population. Um, Blue Cross Blue Shield study came out in October that noted that over the last five years, traditional, Parkinson, par, traditional Parkinson's diagnoses um, were up 52% and the young onset were up 107%. So it's a vap, rapidly growing population, whether that's due to better diagnosis tools or, or to the fact that it maybe it's becoming more prevalent is really that's really irrelevant. The fact is that 
it's growing rapidly and we need to have a face in the, in the market of, of Parkinson's and we need to have, we need to have a voice and we need to be there. We need to create resources for that, for that space. Um, some things just as simple as the fact that most of the Parkinson's resources and classes are in the middle of the day, you know, um, most young onset folks are professionals and they're running around and they're busy and they're working and they have young kids and, you know, they're, they're not available, you know, at 12 o'clock or one o'clock in the afternoon. It might be eight or nine o'clock at night when they're finally getting the kids down and everything their day is done that they might have, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes to jump into a virtual call it, you know, yoga class or something. So we're really, I'm really excited about the prospects of pulling together like the best of the resources that are out there from a Parkinson's and movement disorder perspective into one community and providing not just resources, but also that social interaction and community as well for, for those of us that are in this situation. Yeah, I think that they're, uh, they're critically needed for young onset specifically. Um, and to your point, you know, the, the, the needs are different and people yeah. are, are continuing to work and the needs are just different. So I think it's something that's really, really needed in the market right now. Um, so I'm wondering when you think back about your journey, your personal journey, what is it that you wish that you would have known up front? And maybe, maybe you've already discussed that the finance or, or maybe there's something else that we haven't even touched on, but, um, Hmm, that's a good go back and think, boy, if I had this piece of information early on, this would have been really helpful. Is there anything you'd want to share with our listeners? Hmm. I'm not sure I have a lot of wisdom on that one. I, um, I tend to not look back and regret mm-hmm. things or, you know, really even look backwards. I try to just look forwards. Um, I th- and I think I was blessed with having living where we live here in the DC area, access to a lot of great um, doctors and care. And, um, you know, so I think I went into it pretty, pretty well set with good information. I did a lot of research, obviously. Um, So I don't know that I would have known I guess, obviously, the one trip up that I definitely had was the discussion with my kids. So having been provided with, you know, some better tools around that, I think I would have certainly done a better job at handling that. Yeah, I think helping people through that, um, because when you're in the throes of it, and there is nothing out there written on, okay, this is how you tell them, this is how you, um, it makes it challenging. So I think um, that piece of advice alone can be very, very helpful. Um, I'm just thinking, uh, just want to give you the opportunity if there's anything else that you would want to share with our, our population or our audience, rather, not just what you wished you would have known, yeah. but, um, you know, any, any sage yeah. advice that you would like Absolutely. to provide. I would say, you know, don't let Parkinson's rule your life, right? Well, you would need to rule it and you need to decide up front that you're not going to let it rule your life. Um, stay involved with both the Parkinson's related resources that you can find or get involved in those, I guess I should say, as soon as you're comfortable with, but stay involved in your normal life too. You know, you don't need to be transitioned into a totally different person. This is just a part of you that's going to be there and be annoying, but um, to the extent to which you allow it to take over, that's your choice. So you Mm -hmm. don't have a choice that you have Parkinson's, but you have a choice as to how you live the rest of your life. So don't succumb to that and know that, you know, hold on to, you know, those that those activities and the people that are near and dear to you. And just because you have this diagnosis doesn't mean you can't be in the book club or in, you know, in the, uh, in the gym. Club. 
the what? The rock climbing club. That's right. You and I met rock climbing. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and and take a moment to understand and be grateful all the time. Um, I'm, I'm grateful to have met you and I wouldn't have if I didn't have this stinking disease. So, you know, um, there's, there's, there's silver linings everywhere. You just have to look for them. There is. I always say I don't like taking medication, but so grateful that it's there right. and that I have access to it and that I yeah. can afford to take it. So Absolutely. it's all to the it's point of being gratitude. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in thinking about your upcoming or, or the development of your nonprofit, if yeah. um, somebody wants to learn more or be on the lookout, where should they look? Is there a way that they can get a hold Great of idea. if they have information? Great question. Um, you know, I don't have like everything set up yet, but they can certainly reach out to me via email. I'm happy to field any questions or comments that feedback they might have. Um, I can be reached out at um, A-N-N-A-B, like for boy, G like girl, R-I-L-L at gmail.com, anabgorillagmail.com. All right. So, very um, good. Yeah. And people can also reach out. I know how to get a hold of Anna. So um, if people need to reach out through Teresa Jackson at teresajackson.org, they can do that as well. Um, I just want to thank you for our time together today. And I hope that our audience will join us next time. And until then, see you Tuesday. Thanks for having me. You bet.